Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, worship team. That was fantastic. Um, what a great atmosphere. And so it's my honor to be here tonight. Um, my job is to open the Bible, and I take that really seriously. So if you'd like, like to follow an actual Bible, Exodus chapter 20, uh, we're going to get there um, in just a second. As always, it's an honor to be here with my life Christian family here, right here in the middle of... Uh, it's, it's hard for me in Adelaide to say I'm here with my life family because there's other churches called that, and I go there too. But you're my, you're my life Christian center family uh, right here in the middle of, of Adelaide. Now, always look forward to my fourth year coming um, on your first Wednesday service. I love, I love this time, and I love um, what you guys do. As always, on the way out, we do have our small resource table set up with USB's audio and video. Um, the reason we do that is because we use the money from that to support the poor and the afflicted, um, namely three orphanages in China that look after children with mental disabilities, two in Hinyang, one in Changsha. We also have a rescue home in Cape Town that gets girls uh, um, out of sex trafficking, off drugs, high school educated, and job trained so we could do our part to break the cycle of poverty um, in the Cape Flat. So in the first 10 minutes or so after this is over, come by and, and say hello. There's some new ones out there. I just finished an 11-part series on sex and sexuality. The, the church leaders were asking me to deal with that. Um, it's meant to be a discipleship help, and so you can um, you can pick that up. I just also finished um, my series on the book of Revelation by going through all seven churches and answering the question, where must the church go from here? And so that's out there as well. This is only like the third week I've had that, so you could pick those things up as well. Um, there's a, a good number of people joining us online tonight, so I'm going to um, address them just for a second by looking um, into the camera. Hello. Um, my name's Shane, and um, I, I'm a part of the Life Christian Center family, and, um, and, and I'm so thrilled to be that. I'm so thankful to count Pastor Joe and Pastor Joseph and the team here as friends of mine. So, as a matter of fact, Pastor Joe, I miss you big time, and I'm going to miss that big old plate of spaghetti chili prawns that we always have after this. We're going to have to We'll have to take a rain check on that. And um, if, if you're joining in from your living room or your bedroom, wherever you're watching this, it's an honor to come into it. Now, anytime I speak, I want a few things to happen, okay? And I hope this will happen for you. I want Jesus to get bigger. I want the cross to work better. I want the resurrection to be central. I want scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. And I hope that's your experience, wherever you're watching this, as well as everybody here live. So I want to talk to you about the word Pentecost, and I want to restore the beauty of that word uh, for us because words don't matter. How we picture words working matters. And so there's a way to say something true that creates an untrue imagination about how it works. Let me give you an example. I'm going to say something true, but it will definitely create a not true uh, imagination. One day you'll stand in front of Jesus and he will judge you. That's amazing. Uh, so there's a way to say something true. Like one day you'll stand in front of Jesus and he will judge you. That is true. But it's an untrue imagination about how it works because most people picture a big giant courtroom. My, my Sunday school teacher when I was seven told me one day I would stand in front of Jesus. He put my whole life on a giant screen for everybody to see. 
Well, first of all, what kind of lunatic would you have to be to want a relationship with somebody who intentionally and premeditatedly tells you they're going to shame you in front of everybody? That's first. S second, how boring can you make heaven? My life's not that interesting now. You imagine sitting around, hey, here's what heaven is, watching the lives of seven-year-olds. That would be frankly terrible. And 13.7 billion people have lived and died with an average lifespan of 50 years. That means the first 650 billion year, million years of, of, of eternity is watching people's lives. How boring can you make heaven? Imagine that. Strap in, everybody take a restroom break. Next up is Methuselah, right? That would be t terrible. The, the, the issue is, is that in Hebrew, the word judge is not a courtroom official. It's somebody anointed by God to set you free. And you already knew that. There, there's an entire book in the Old Testament called the book of Judges. And they're not courtroom officials. They're people specifically anointed by God to set people free, right? And if we said, hey, one day you're going to be finally and fully in the full presence of the one anointed by God to set you free, that's a beautiful, beautiful story because that word doesn't matter as much as the picture we create. So when I say the word Pentecostal, certain images come to mind that I want to restore. And some of those pictures are not good. Uh, frankly, they're sort of weird. And so I want to restore the beauty of that word. And in, in this Wednesday night Bible study, um, we're going to understand the book of Exodus a bit better. We're going to understand the word Pentecost a bit better. And we're going to have fun in the meantime. If you could bring that first slide up. This is Exodus chapter 20, verse 2. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. Now, you, you remember the words he's talking about there. It's the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 is the Ten Commandments. A couple of observations about this. First, the word command is never used in the Ten Commandments. And I don't mind people calling it Ten Commandments. As a matter of fact, my series on it is called the Ten Commandments because that's what people call it. But in Jewish culture, they call it a ten-word marriage proposal. That in this passage, God is a affirming his love to the people, not with 10 conditions of his love, but rather 10 proofs he already loved them. This was a radical concept for a God anywhere to consent first in love because whoever says I love you first in the relationship is taking all the risk. If you're dating someone right now and you're wondering if you cross the line about can you say I love you or not, well, whoever says I love you first is taking all the risk. Imagine being on a date and someone says, hey, I, I, I love you, and their response is, I know, <laughs> good for you. <laughs> that's nice. What you want to hear back is, I love you too. And so in this story, this God is consenting in love. Now, let me tell you why that matters so much. So the book of Exodus is actually organized around a five-step Hebrew relationship. So every Hebrew relationship is, goes through five steps. And the book of Exodus is actually outlined in those five steps. So let me show you the five steps. Next slide. So these, these are the five steps. The five steps are laka. Segula, mikvah, ketubah, and chuppah. Now, these are such important words that I want to get you into it a bit. This is a Bible study tonight, so I wanted to get you into it. So with as much, like without pointing yourself out, but with some, you know, some real Italian gusto, and I know there could be some of that, all right? I want you to try to say this word with me. La ca. Ready? Go. La ca. That's, that's a pretty good amount of gusto. Let's try that one more time. Ready? Go. La ca. Now, the second one is segula. Let's try that one. Go. Segula. All right. The third one is mikvah. Let's try that one. Go. Mikvah. The third, fourth one is ketubah. Let's try that one. Ketubah. And the fifth one is chupah. Yeah. So this was the five stages of a Hebrew relationship. Laka, Segula, Mikvah, Ketubah, and Chupa. And yes, that is what you're thinking. Now, 
Let me tell you a parable. And this is a made-up story, a completely made-up story. There's no correlation to reality at all. I have to be careful in Pentecostal places because when I tell this story, if it happens to be the friend of somebody, they're like, hey, my friend's named that. I think God might... So let's say I'm dating somebody, okay? And let's say for the sake of this made-up story that her name is Pam. So I'm dating, I'm dating Pam and things are going pretty well, right? We're, we, we've gotten into that attraction phase. In, in psychology, it's called limerence. Limerence is the involuntary rush of dopamine in your, in your head when you're in the presence of somebody. This is why when you're first in the attraction phase, you can't get enough of that person. You can't wait to get off work to, to call them or, or go see them. And there's texting back and forth. There's, there's four hour conversations. So you ask somebody, how's it going with Jim? And they're like, it's perfect, man. We talked for four and a half hours on the phone the other night, it felt like 10 minutes. The reason for that is limerence, right? It's, it's attraction phase. Now, if you've been married 20 years, a four and a half hour conversation sounds like hell, right? But in that attraction phase, four and a half hour conversation is like, wow. So Pam and I are, are dating and, and we've gotten past all that and, and we've just got chemistry and we like being around each other. And at some point, Pam says to me, hey, where is this going? Is this going anywhere? Are we going to date forever? Like, is, do you have any sort of vision for where we'll go along the way? And I say, you know what I do? I do. I actually think this could go somewhere. Well, as soon as that's decided, the word Pam would be longing to hear is laka. So one night we're on a date, right? And we're out here in the city somewhere and we go to the best Italian place, right? I don't, I don't know, Enzo's or wherever these these. Your pastors have taken me into some of the most incredible places <laughs> imaginable. So, so, so you go there, and, and, and she gets this meal, and there's just something about the night that I know is special. So I drive her to her house, and I walk her to the door, and I hold her by the hand, and I say, Pam, laka. Well, she can't contain her excitement. She can barely contain herself. She definitely can't keep her hands off of me. Why? Because if, if you sleep in and drink Coke, you too can one day have a body like this. She goes in. She calls her three best friends and says, he said laka to me. He said laka to me. Yeah. He said laka. Facebook relationship status change. He said laka. Now, laka means to take as one's own. Now, again, this is 2022, so sometimes women hear that and they go, what, you going to take me? But this, was a, this was a very endearing term in the ancient world. This was, uh, let me put it more in today's world in terms of tone. Hey, will you be mine? Will, will you be my own? Will, will you be that? So there's this group of slaves. They're Israelites. They're just a family, really, that end up in, in Egypt because of a famine, and they sold their brother and the whole thing, and they, they end up there, and they end up in slavery for 430 years, and God chooses to get them out of slavery, and this is quite terrifying, actually. It is quite terrifying when a God shows his power, but then you don't know what he's going to want in return right? So if a God just shows you I'm really powerful, I got you out of slavery, what would be the next sentence? And you owe me one, and since I got you out of slavery, here's what I want. And so in one sense, you're happy to be out of slavery. In another sense, you're trying to work out what does this God want? So this God communicates the first time to them by saying this. Next slide. This is Exodus chapter 6. And I'll free you from being slaves to them and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. Yeah, there you go. Now, what do we owe you? And I will take you as my own. The word is laka. This is wedding talk. You don't have to explain to ancient Hebrew people. This is a relationship initiation. Essentially, what does God expect in return? You. 
Just a relationship with you, that's all I want. I don't want you to cut yourself. I don't want you to sacrifice your children, all of which were possible in the ancient world. No, 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 no. What do, what do you want? What do I want in return for all this I've done for you? I want laka. Well, since I've done this, can you trust me and be mine? N- next slide. So let's go back to our five words and our parable. So Pam, I've said laka. Now, only the women can answer this question because men don't understand this. It's not because we're stupid. It's just because we don't understand this, Right. How long does the word laka last? The excitement around it. Not very long. Like three weeks after I've said laka, Pam's friends are like, has he said Segula yet? Has he said, hey, is he having a commitment problem? Hey, and Pam's like defending me. Pam's like, shut up, right? He'll say Segula when he wants. But in her heart, she's like, I really want him to say Segula, right? And so, and so we go out on a date. And this, this date, this particular night, is, is a little bit cheaper. It's a little bit more casual. You don't really expect it. We're at Nando's, right? We're at Nando's, and, we, and we've got, we've got the, the, the grilled chicken with the broccoli, right, with the peri-peri sauce and the coleslaw, right? And she orders her chicken extra spicy, right? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, any woman that orders extra spicy chicken, that's the woman I want to spend the rest of my life with, right? And so I take her to her house. I walk her to her door. I hold her by the hand, and I say, Pam, Segula. Well, she can barely contain herself. Why? Because look at all this, right? She goes in. She calls her three best friends, and she's like, he said Segula to me. He said Segula to me. Oh, yeah. He said Segula to me. Facebook relationship status change. He said Segula. Now, Segula is Laka 2.0. Segula is taking Laka to the next level. Segula means treasured possession. Now, again, it's 2022. I get it. A modern woman be what you think you own me, right? No, no. It was way more endearing than that. It was like more, think of it this way. If Laka is, will you be my own? Segula would be, will you be the most treasured person in my whole world? It would be that. So this group of slaves, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7, I will take you as my own, Laka. Same group, Exodus 19, verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. The word is segula. It's, again, it's like, can you imagine being a slave going, did God just say segula? Like nobody... Nobody, no God ever would have said, used language like this. The gods of the ancient world were, you go to their temple, their moment, their time, do their ritual, give their offering, and then that God might act on your behalf. This story is completely revolutionary in the sense that this God, one, acts first, and then when asked, what do you expect in return? His answer is, a relationship with you? Laka, Segula. And if you look at that sentence, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, You'll be my treasure. Again, that, that's not comforting. Because, because think about it. What question would you be asking if you're a slave? Well, what's in your covenant? You haven't told us what we're going to be obeying yet. Like, think about what would have been possible. I want you to cut yourself every morning. I want you to kill your children. I want you to, the, hey, ancient gods demanded things like that. This God is really, really powerful, and he's using words like laka, comforting, segula, comforting, except for he's putting this thing like, hey, I want you to obey my covenant without telling him what it is. Again, it's only a certain level of comfort, right? Like, what if he asks us to do something crazy, and all we know is he's really powerful. What do we do? This is relationship talk. Now, back to the five words. Next slide. 
So once I've said laka, and once I've said segula, Pam, our imaginary parable, parabolic woman here, would be longing for me to say mikvah. Now, I've been asked to preach some version of this in very large women's conferences around the world. I'm talking about stadiums, basketball stadiums full of women, okay? And, and that's pretty fun to do because you explain what laka is and you can hear it. The whole room, 3,000 women. <laughs> then you go, okay, laka is my own. And all the women, oh, yes, yes. And then you say, segula means special treasure, treasured possession. And all the women are like, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> Mikvah is far less romantic. Mikvah was a three-day notice. In three days, I'm going to ask you to marry me. And how, how would I know that? So, so Mikvah, see, I'm 46 years old. So 25 years ago, when I was of dating age, like, you know, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth, there, there, was, there was a little bit of mystery for when someone was going to propose, right? The, the friends would be saying, do you think tonight's the night? Do, do, you think, do you think tonight could be the night he proposes to you? And she's like, I don't know. I sure hope so. It's something like that. Just like, girl, I think tonight's the night. Normally he takes you to Nando's. Tonight he's booked the most expensive steakhouse in the city. This is looking good, right? But there was still a little bit of mystery. Today, there's no mystery around when they're going to ask you to marry him. If your boyfriend drives you to the base of a mountain where it runs into the ocean and there's already a professional photographer waiting for you there, you're in, right? This is, they, they've removed, because, that's because of social media. You got to one-up everything, right? Back then, there was no, there was no question when somebody was asking you to marry them. You had a three-day warning, but that warning's negative. You had a three-day notice. And, and, and so mikvah, if I walked Pam to the door and I said, Pam, mikvah, well, she was excited, but it's far less romantic. Mikvah just simply means go wash, Girl, you need a bath. <laughs> Your breath is a little stinky. The, 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 the idea of mikvah was three days from now, I'm going to ask you to marry me, and I want you to be clean so that I can touch you. The, 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 by the way, the word mikvah is the same word for baptism. To be, you baptize people in mikvahs. It's a bath. It's, it's, a, it's a thing of water. You see this in real, in real exaggerated form. In the book of Esther, it says that she bathed in perfume for a year before she went in and saw her husband, which I think we could all agree is a bit overkill, seriously. Like, if you need to bathe in perfume for a year, see a doctor, right? So, like, seriously, like, like you gotta sort stuff out, right? But mikvah was, mikvah was this three-day notice. Hey, in three days, I'm asking you to marry me. So this group of slaves, laka. Segula, five verses later in Exodus 19. Next slide, here's what it says. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Oh, and what do, have them wash their clothes. Oh, and do what? Be ready by the third day. Mikvah. Now, don't think too hard about this. What happens three days after Exodus 19? Exodus 20, exactly, yes, right, right? And Exodus 20 contains what? The Ten Commandments. In the Jewish culture, it's not called Ten Commandments. It's called a ten-word ketubah, a ten-word marriage proposal. Next slide. 
So you have Laka, Segula, Mikva, Ketuba, and Hupa. So what I'm going to do in my parable, the made-up story, I'm going to tell you about Ketuba and I'm going to tell you about Hupa all at once, and then we'll go look at the scriptures, okay? So a Ketuba was a marriage proposal, a marriage contract. It, it was a prenup, basically. But essentially, it, this will be a caricature, but Essentially, it'd be this. Three days after I said mikvah, me and Pam would get together with our fathers. Our fathers were there for two reasons, for witness and for wisdom, right? Because what we're going to do is we're going to decide the boundaries by which our marriage will be ruled. And sometimes young people think marriage looks a certain way, but older people go, I know you think that, but it's going to be that, right? right? And, so, and so here was the rule. I could put anything in the ketubah I wanted, and she could put anything in the ketubah she wanted, so long as we both agreed. Because how can two walk together lest they be agreed? Now, once the ketubah was written, that became the rules by which our marriage was going to be governed by. And if I couldn't be willy-nilly with that. If I broke that in an unrepentant pattern, that was called marital unfaithfulness, okay? And so that was the idea. The, the, the idea is you're going to live by this. Now, once that ketubah was written and we agreed to it and signed it, we would stand, pay very close attention to the language here. I would say, Pam, will you marry me? Based on that, will you marry me? And she would say, yes. Then I would say, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And she would say, well, when are you going to come back to receive me unto yourself? And I would say, I do not know the day or the hour. But when my father approves the wedding chamber I'm building for you, he'll send me back. But be watchful and ready for my return. Does that language sound familiar? Like when Jesus is talking like that, people would have been like, is, is God still wanting to marry us after all of this, right? I would then leave and I would simply build a room on our family's existing house. See, in our world, we picture things differently. In our world, when people get married, they generally leave by their own house. These people didn't have that kind of money. What they, what they basically had, and I've been in these, the ruins of these houses, you basically had a family compound that would have easily fit on the stage. And it was long and it was long and narrow. You had a hallway down the middle, and you had room, 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 like that. And then your storefront was on the was on the road, was on the front of the house. That was how you made your living. And basically, the youngest people lived at the back of the house. And then, as you got older, you graduated to the front of the house, and then when you died, you got promoted out of the house, right? That was like, you know the, you know the phrase, they're almost out the door, that, that, that's the idea. So, so what would happen is, these young teenagers would fix in to be married, and so you'd have to build a room. There's all kinds of lessons about this, like, hey, before you get married, have your natural world in order, like have a job, have a place to live, like, sensible things, not for tonight. But so what would happen is, is I would build this room. My father would approve it as acceptable lodgings for me and my new wife. Once he approved that, I would then go back and return for Pam. And Pam's waiting with her bridesmaids every day. Is this the day he's coming back? Is this the day he's coming back? Is this the day he's coming back? Once we come back, we take Pam, to where the wedding will be, which is on the premises where the wedding chamber is. And that's where the chuppah is. So in a Hebrew wedding, there's two chuppahs. The first one is at the wedding. A chuppah just means the covering of God's presence. That's all. It's, it means God's covering, right? So a chuppah, and every wedding I've ever seen in my life to this day, there's some version of the chuppah. 
right? So people stand under archways. They do this thing. Back then, the hoopah was simply a prayer shawl. And what they would do is the prayer shawl had these four tassels, and this was really rustic. They took four sticks and put it in the ground, and then at the top, they would wrap the tassels around the top of the sticks, and it would make a canopy. And that, that prayer shawl was seen as the presence of God. And so you would stand there under the hoopah and say the things you need to say. Like they would do these cool things like the salt ceremony where I would have an empty, a, a bag of salt, she would have a bag of salt, the priest would have an empty bag. And they dumped the salt together and then the priest would go, what God has joined together, let no man tear asunder. It was that kind of stuff. So, so that even if a divorce had to happen, which sometimes they do, you can never totally separate the salt was the idea. It's hard to really pick that apart, right? So the first hoopah was out in front of everybody. The second hoopah was in private. The second hoopah was over the marriage bed. So what they did, again, they just put four sticks around the four corners of the marriage bed, and then they would tie the, the prayer shawl to the top of the can, and it would make a canopy over the marriage bed. The idea was, is so that when the marriage was consummated, it was done so underneath the witness and presence of God, right? Right, so somebody had to witness it, but it's not a great spectator sport, so what they would do is they would say, this would be witnessed by the presence of God. So what would happen, and this is gonna get a little awkward because they were far less embarrassed with their sexuality than we are, but they had to be less embarrassed because they all lived really close together, but this is what would happen. After the wedding, I would take my wife to the door of the wedding chamber and I would pick her up to carry her in there. I, I think people still do this in some cultures where you, you pick your new bride up and you carry, it's carrying them under the threshold. It's a good idea for some, for others, I wouldn't recommend it. Like, but anyway, so, so you, yeah, I'll give you a piggyback, whatever. So, so you go, so you pick your, you'd pick your bride up and carry her into the wedding chamber. And by the way, um, <clears throat> The, the, the word to pick your bride up is where the word rapture comes from. Rapture is not about going somewhere else. Rapture is a relational term about being caught up into the presence of your bridegroom. Right? Right? So you pick your bride up. You take her into the wedding chamber. This gets a little awkward. They would shut the door behind you. We would then consummate the marriage in there under the hoopah, and everybody just waits around for us to be done. But remember, you're like 14 years old, so like 20 seconds later, you're, done, you're ready, right? You come back home, right? And then you'd have this big party, right? There was this big party going on. That was the, that was the hoopah. So this group of slaves, um, Laka. Segula, mikvah. This is three days later in Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God. Here it comes. What's God to expect? Here it is. I am the Lord your God. In, in, in Hebrew, three words, Anoki, Jehovah, Elohim. Now you could say, I am the Lord your God with two words, Jehovah, Elohim. But the first word of the marriage proposal, the ketubah, of God was anarchy. Now, next slide. Anarchy is, no, no, go back for me for a second. Yeah, anarchy, thank you. So anarchy is like all Hebrew words. All Hebrew words, the letters are pictures. So every Hebrew word's a comic strip. It tells a story. And so the A is, is like a ox, is a, an ox head going into a yoke. It means the authority to carry something. 
The N is fish multiplying. Looks like a crescendo. One becomes four, becomes like, it looks like a musical crescendo. The CH is a hedge or a fence. And the Y is an upraised hand. It means to praise, surrender, or submit. So the pictures are like an ox head going into a yoke, a, a fish multiplying, a hedge or a fence, and then an upraised hand. So the first word of God's marriage proposal to these people says this. Next slide. Your authority is multiplying inside the hedge of praise and submission. What do I want from you? A relationship with you. And what's my commitment to you? I'm here to make you bigger. 430 years of slavery, I'm here to teach you how to be human. Your authority is going to multiply. Can you imagine the relief? Like, oh my God. And think about this. Just think about the Ten Commandments for a second as a marriage proposal. Don't have any other gods before me. In other words, if we're going to be married, I'd like to be the only one, right? Oh, um, don't have idols. In other words, if we're going to be married, don't carry pictures of your old boyfriends. It sort of hurts my feelings, right? Hey, 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 um, let's take one day in seven and just spend it together. Let's have a day off. Hang on. All they've known is slavery for 430 years. When was their last day off? Never. No slave is standing at the base of the mountain going, oh no, uh-uh, he's putting rules on us. It's like, wait a minute, hang on. Are we hearing this right? That part of his new world rules that he wants us to keep and is, is we get a day off every single week? This is unbelievable. We've never had a day off ever, ever. And he's not only giving us a day off, he's making a national mandate so that no one can outwork somebody else on a Sabbath. Whoa. Oh, don't use my name in vain. Which, by the way, th th that is not a language issue. That's not like saying, oh my God, although it's probably distasteful, probably shouldn't do it. It's, it's, the word is nasa, which means to carry it. In, in other words, it literally says, don't carry my name in a way that disappoints the hope that rests upon it. In, in other words, if we're going to be married, you're going to have power of attorney on my bank accounts. Don't sign checks I wouldn't sign. Oh, let, let me, let, let's use some real examples. Don't have a really poorly thought out idea that no one's buying, and so you add umph to it by saying God said. You know, don't do that. Hey, if someone cuts you off in traffic, um, don't race beside them, point your finger at the sky, and then get in front of them with a fish on your car. A bumper sticker, follow me to Life Christian Center. <laughs> don't do that. Hey, ma'am, don't... Um, don't curse your husband out when he leaves his underwear on the floor for the 18,000th time. Don't do that. Hey, sir, don't be cruel to your wife when she does something that disappoints you. Don't, don't do it. Hey, hey, be kind to the waitress even if she's taking too long to take your order. Don't tie yourself to Jesus and then act in a way that disappoints the hope that rests upon his name. Oh, here's a good idea. Ready? Hold on to something. This is mind-blowing. Ready? Don't kill each other. Don't do that. Don't do that. Now, try to hear that from a slave. Hang on a second. You mean in our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't murder the weakest people? Our lives are protected? Was it illegal to murder people in Egypt? No, not if you're a slave. You mean in our new world, our life is protected? Yes. Oh, here's another one. Ready? Don't sleep with each other's spouses. Again, wait a minute, hang on. In our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't rape our wives? 
Are you serious? Like how many times would Egyptian slave owners have raped the Israelite women? A lot. God says, no, 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 nope, you can't sleep with other people's spouses. That was caught. That's not the law. That's grace. Imagine that. Like, hang on. In our new world, my life and my wife are protected. This is the greatest thing I've ever heard. Hey, hey, no, oh, hey, don't take each other's things. Wait a minute. Hang on. In our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't steal from us. So wait a minute. Let me get this straight. In our new world, my life, my wife, and my stuff are all protected, and I get a day off every week. This is the greatest thing ever. And that's all you expect from us. And for all that you did, all you want us to do is act in a way that makes us bigger. This is the great, that is unbelievable. But a marriage doesn't end with ketubas. It ends with hoopas. It's consummated with hoopas. Next slide. Yeah, next slide. This is Exodus 20, verse 18. It's the first verse after the last command. When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and they heard the trumpet and they saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. Let's just stop and say all that sentence for a second. And let's just all admit that's a weird sentence. The people saw thunder. How do you see thunder? That's first of all. And it's not like the author didn't know how to say heard. What the sentence should say is the people saw lightning and smoke and heard trumpets and thunder. That's not what it says though. It says they saw thunder and lightning and heard trumpets and saw Smoke. What's going on here? So, so here's what happened, right? They're staying at the base of the mountain, and the presence of God covers them in smoke. Hoopa. And they look up, and they see thunder and lightning. Now, if you just go look that word up in Hebrew, the word is kole, which is voices or languages. The word lightning is glorified fire. By the way, it's the same two words Moses, the same guy that wrote this, it's the same two words he used to say, God spoke to me out of the fire of the burning bush. Same two words. So watch this. So they're standing there and the presence of God covers them. And they see languages inside fire sitting over their head. What would the languages have been saying? Will you marry me? The, the Talmud says that on this day in history, God proposed it uses the word proposed. God proposed to the entire world by using 70,000 tongues of fire. Essentially, what they reported was when the tongues of fire were sitting on their head and they looked around, the tongues of fire went as far as the eye could see to the vanishing point. And they assumed that God was proposing to everybody everywhere. Oh, by the way, in 1857 in Rangoon, Burma, an English sociologist was studying the Kiran people. And he asked the Kiran, this is before electricity. He asked the Kiran people, who is your God? And the Kiran people in 1857 said, we serve a God named Yava who proposed to us thousands of years ago with tongues of fire from the sky. Wow. You can read that story in Don Richardson's book, Eternity in Their Hearts, if you're interested. This is amazing. Now, if you're married, what do you do every year on the day you got married? Hopefully, you celebrate your anniversary. It's really important if you're not doing that to do it. I mean, it's a day to go back and remember how you used to feel it. Like, you know, it's like, hey, I, I remember when we could have four hour chats and we loved it, right? <laughs> so here's what happens. So God institutes a feast, a party. He institutes this party. 
that is mandated every year on this day. And that feast is called Pentecost. Pentecost was a yearly celebration of this exact day. And Pentecost is weird. You can read about it in Leviticus 16, Leviticus 23. Pentecost is quite strange. It's in the sense that everywhere else it's bring unleavened bread, unleavened bread, unleavened bread, not Pentecost. Pentecost is make sure the bread you bring is made with leaven. It had to be made with leaven. And what they would do is they would celebrate and then the leader of the Pentecost celebration would break the leavened loaves and cover it with oil. Because, you know, olive oil and bread taste good together. Italians taught me that. I went to an Italian restaurant and asked for butter. They're like, what are you, a redneck, right? <laughs> what? Oh, butter? What? No. And so they would cover the leavened bread with oil, symbolizing the presence of God. And they would pray a prayer like this. I thank you, my God, that your unleavened life is willing to become one with our leavened life. That the point of Pentecost is that God wants to marry you issues and all flaws and all brokenness and all that the God revealed in scripture is always willing to engage your broken story wherever the broken story is and move it to a better place. See, Pentecostals got caught saying things like this. You better get the leaven out of your life for God to use you. God's too holy to be in the presence of sin. Actually, God's too holy not to engage the sinful story. That God's too holy not, God's too holy to leave your mess where it is. That, that the whole point of Pentecost is that God wants to marry you leaven and all issues and all flaws and all brokenness and all. And it was a yearly celebration with this leaven loaf. So years later, there's this group of people and it says they're all together in one accord in Jerusalem. Why? Because it's Pentecost and that's what you did. And they would have had the leaven loaf and the day of Pentecost would have fully come. And then they looked up and it says they saw the presence of God cover them in smoke and they heard a blast and they saw languages inside fire sitting over their head. So the same exact thing is happening on the same exact day. Only this time they spoke back, which is the birth of the church, which is the bride of Christ. The question is, how did they respond? Well, the people in Acts chapter 2 responded like Pentecostals. Let me show you from Leviticus how Pentecostals are supposed to respond when God shows you that kind of extravagant love. Next slide. On that same day, you're to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. This is to be a lasting ordinance for your generations to come wherever you live. That's Pentecost. Next slide. And when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them. Next one. Leave them for the poor and the foreigner residing amongst you, for I am the Lord your God. And on the words, the only appropriate response to that level of grace is to go outside and make sure you make everybody else's life better. Pentecostals are not supposed to be known as the tongue talkers. Although I celebrate that. I, like Paul, I thank God that I pray in tongues more than all of you. But if I pray in tongues and have not love, what is that? 
Pentecostals cannot be the group of people coming to meetings, waiting for God to do the next thing for them, simply staring at the sky, wanting God to do the next thing. Pentecostals are supposed to be so moved by their encounter with the Holy Spirit that they can't help themselves but go out and find people who can't do anything in return to them and do something to make their life better. Pentecostals aren't simply supposed to be known as the tongue talkers. They're supposed to be known as the most generous group of people in the whole town. So may you, my brothers and sisters of Life Christian Center, and everybody watching online, I hope Jesus got bigger for you, the cross worked better, the resurrection is central, and scriptures got bigger, not smaller. May we all be the most Pentecostal group of people in Adelaide. May we love our community extravagantly because we're so moved by God engaging our broken story. May we restore the beauty of the word Pentecostal for our world. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. We honor you. We proclaim your king. Give us the courage to see things different, the irresistible words to respond to what we see. Give us the bravery to be Pentecostal. Amen. Would you look this way? Thanks so much for being a part of your night. I do hope Jesus got bigger for you today and the scriptures got larger. I look forward to this every year, first Wednesday in March. We just slide on by and do this. And, and I, I just so am honored to be a part of it. May, may we be brave enough to be the most Pentecostal group in all of Adelaide. Grace and peace, everybody. Powerful. Come on, give him a round of applause. That was an amazing message. Thank you, Shane. Now, every time you were just sharing, I just had this thought that God just loves me. He just loves me. And I don't have to earn His salvation. I don't have to sit on a, on a bunch of nails. He just loves me for who I am. And I think we're living in a society where you know, for love, we, there's always these conditions. And to be honest, sometimes I wish it was like that. It would make a lot more sense to me. But God just says, you know what? I just love you. Come with your brokenness. Come with, with, with all your faults. I just want to marry you. He wants to know us intimately. So I don't know where you are tonight when you walk with God or maybe tuning in. You just feel a bit alone and you feel a bit distant from God. I just want to encourage you. One of the greatest things we can do is say, you know what, God, I just want to love you and know you a little bit more today. I just want to have a relationship with you. And then with that love, I want to be a blessing and make an impact in someone else's life. If there's a time where we need to make a stand and shine the light of God, it's today. It's today. And I believe as the world gets a little bit darker, Christ's light in us shines a little bit brighter in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, that your love is never failing, Lord God, that even though we make mistakes and we fail, you're always calling us back into a marriage with you. I'm so grateful and we are so grateful that your grace is so powerful that we didn't have to earn your salvation or earn your love, Lord God, but you love us so much that you sent your one and only son on the cross to die on the cross that we may enter a personal relationship with that you remove the sin from our lives, Lord God. We thank you, God, that you're a God that's always chasing after us. That no matter how far we may run away or no many times we make mistakes over and over and over again, you're always there waiting for us to return. So tonight, Lord God, we just return to you. We return our relationship to you and we just say we love you. We want to know you in a deeper way. But above all else, Lord God, use our life. Let us be our hands and your feet to show your love and your light to a community that needs Jesus, a community that needs hope. So we just use us. We use Life Christian Centre for your will, for your purpose and for your glory tonight.
We love you and I just pray for peace and your grace to be over us uh, tonight, Lord God. And, and throughout the week, pray for what's happening in Ukraine, Lord God. We just pray for your, your, your peace and your comfort over there as well. And I just pray, we know wherever you send us throughout the week, let us love people like you love us, Lord God. We love you and ask these in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen, amen. So good to be in the house of God. Uh, Pastor Shane's got some material on the back. And so if you want some material, head back then. Also, uh, we've got a 10 a.m., a 10.15 a.m. service, and 11.45 a.m. services. So I look forward to seeing you Sunday morning. And thank you for those guys turning online. God bless you. May the peace and grace of God be with you this week. Amen. See you Sunday.